Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. so glad to be with you again. Um, my name is Chip Freed. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at our one church, and I don't know what Pastor Scott said, however many uh, locations. We're so glad you're tuning in like this. Um, you know, I've said very early when we were doing this, it was really modeling the early church where they met in homes. So we're meeting in homes today. Um, you may say, wow, you know, you guys are up there. We got a faithful crew and worshiping in an empty sanctuary. Let me tell you something. This is not an empty place. It is filled with the Spirit of God. And my prayer is that your home right now would be filled with the Spirit of God as we lean up on God's Word. One thing um, Scott was mentioning, uh, Monday musings. We have something that we've been talking about here at Garfield, that while the state has told us to shelter in place, we've been focusing on sheltering in presence, taking shelter in God's presence. Over and over again, the, the Psalms tell us that we're sheltered in the wings of God, sheltered in His tent. And so we've created, if you go to our webpage, um, you'll see something that says digital faith, sheltering in God's presence. And if you scroll through that, there's ways that we're staying connected. That's the key thing, being connected. I feel connected to you right now, uh, just across the, uh, the, you know, the technology. This is stuff God created. We just caught up and figured it out. And we can be connected through God's Holy Spirit uh, in many places, but yet one body. And so during the week on Monday, we have the Monday Musings Scott mentioned. On Wednesday, our worship team gathers at 7. They were supposed to do a, like a 10-minute set, and they ended up doing about 35 minutes because there were requests coming in and prayers coming in. House of Prayer also on Monday has a call-in line there. On that website, you can call in for an hour Monday at 7, Wednesday worship at 7. And then on Fridays, we do a noon and a 5 gathering. They, we thought, again, these would be 10 or 15 minutes. They're usually an hour. And Pastor Terry and myself are in those uh, Faith on Friday Zoom chats. So ways to stay connected all week long. I know Mom's group and other small groups are meeting online. So if anybody tells you the church is closed, the devil is a liar. Because we're working really hard and pray for this team because this team is putting in their time. So we're in a series, a teaching series, that we started at the beginning of Lent, our journey toward Easter, titled Life Between Two Gardens. And why we start it that way is it's very interesting. We know that life begins in a garden, right? The Garden of Eden. And so we spent the first two services um, looking at the, the creation stories and that we were created by the God of the universe, the great king who had created us in God's own image and invited us to take a walk with him in his garden. In the ancient Near East, that was the greatest compliment you could get. 
if the king of Babylon or somebody says, come walk with me in the garden. And this is the God of the universe that makes that invitation. We found out that paradise was lost in the garden. That, that we then decided we wanted to be our own Savior and Lord. That's the sin beneath all the sins. And thus our relationship with God became fractured. Um, that next week we looked at beware of false gardens. We looked at Lot and Abraham and Lot lifted his eyes and what he thought was the garden of the Lord, but it actually was the garden of the Lord without the Lord. And he needed to lift his eyes up a little bit higher. And we can get derailed. And last week, Pastor Scott took us to the cross with this key verse in our series, in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And in the garden where our relationship with God was broken, Jesus on the cross, laid then in a garden, restored our relationship with God. And so today, before next week, we'll go to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, as we're getting ready for Holy Week and Palm Sunday. But today, we want to look at the bookend uh, of the Bible, that at the very end, we're created in a garden. At the very end, we're raised, Revelation 21, 22, in a city. But in that city, there's green space, And I'm saying that at the end of time, the Alpha and Omega, God is going to bring us to the Garden City. I think there's a Garden State out there. We're praying for them in New Jersey. I got my seminary degree there, praying for our brothers and sisters on the East Coast. But ultimately, there's a Garden City. And when I went through that little bookend narrative, that's important because it's how we read the Bible. See, if if we we look at, have you ever thought of the word history? The word history literally is a combination of two words, his story. Like if we see the narrative of the Bible as one long story, too many people read the Bible like the farmer's almanac, right? We just kind of flip through and, oh, thus saith the Lord, you know, and and we rip scriptures out of context, and a lot of really bad things happen when we do that. We really try to make the Bible say what I want it to say versus listening to what's saying. So here's something, if you're writing notes, I know I talk fast. My wife has always told, I feel, feel her right now across the airways. Slow down. Okay? And if you're, if you're taking notes, you want to write this on your phone, remember this if you don't remember anything else. The Bible is not a set of individual stories to help you find God. Do not read the Bible that way. The Bible, I'm going to say it again, is not a set of individual stories to help you find God. The Bible is one long narrative story of how God came to find you. That's the story. And so we're looking at the end of the story today in Revelation, and I want to read it to you. This is, this is how God wants history to end. This is how God's blueprint for what's going to happen at the very end. And I think right now is a good time to remember this promise, okay? So we're going to look at the future in Revelation 22. Here, I'm going to read it for you. And we got some things in yellow, so I'm going to come back to these points at the very end of the message. So I just want to kind of anchor them in your spirit right now. The very end, Revelation 21, I saw the new city, the city of God, the holy city of Jerusalem come down. And in Revelation 21, John tells the story. And then says this, Then the angel of the Lord showed me. Now, I want to say something on this. Who showed who? This is a revelation given to John. John was one of the apostles, right? Many of the apostles were martyred for their faith. But John, kind of like Napoleon after the French Revolution, you know, is, is sent off to an island. He's exiled on an island of Patmos. He's all alone. But the angel shows up. 
And he said, I was going to worship the Lord on the Lord's day all by himself, right? No church building, no live feed. I don't know, maybe he knelt down by a rock or leaned up against a tree, all right? And so I've had people, and I've heard it in Zoom chats and other things, you're feeling very alone right now. You're feeling very isolated. Well, this live feed is saying to you, you're not alone. Your church is with you, number one. But more importantly, John is literally alone. He's on a rocky island in the middle of the ocean. But when he gets a vision of the New Jerusalem, there's no sea. There's nothing to separate him from anyone. And God, right now, if you're sitting alone today, I'm thinking of some of you, you're not alone. The Lord is with you. The angel showed me what? The river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life. There's another one with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed, no curse, will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And this angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And John gives his little postscript. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Let's say this together. Ready? One, two, three. Worship God. So this is God's future, right? This is is the future promise, the garden city. So I want to look at three things. One, what is this future? Two, how does this future arrive? And three, how can I be sure that I'll be a part of it? Okay, so what is this future? How does it arrive? And how can I be sure I'll be a part of it? First, the future uh, of God's future is a city. It's very clear. It's a city come down from heaven. We were created in a garden, but we're raised in a city right? That, that this is, there's a, the river of life is flowing what down through the great street. That's the boulevard. That's the main street, right? Um, it, that, that, that the future is urban. It's, it's, it's a great city um, with a dense population. The fact the gates, if you read it, are open night and day, and the crowds are coming in and out, and there's busyness, and there's activity. I read one theologian, you'll love this one, he wrote this way, He said, the city is where there are more people than plants. The country is where there are more plants than people. And since God clearly loves people more than plants, he must love the city more than the country. Now guess where that person was from who wrote that? New York City, right? And we're praying for New York City right now. But but the truth was this, cities are dense populations, see? And we normally, when you want to get a break or you want to go see beauty, you get out of the city, right? I mean, that's what my wife and I tend to do. We, whenever we really want to relax, we've got to go get by water. 
Go sit by a lake. Go sit by a river, right? But this prophecy is teaching us something about how we're supposed to look at the world. See, there's, some, there's beauty in a city that a tree and a lake and a river cannot provide. Because it, the Bible doesn't say that trees are made in the image of God. It says what? People were made in the image of God. And so God sees beauty in the cities. He sees beauty in, in dense populations, right? Now, now, this terrible virus right now is taking something that's beautiful and, and using it for something evil with the density of the population. That's why we're separating and we're learning you know, to distance ourselves for a time to let this thing run out. But the truth is, when God looks at dense populations, at, at, at people, God sees beauty, and God's going to restore that beauty. And somebody said to me, well, come on, isn't that just a symbol? Sure, it's a symbol. Sure, it's symbolic. But let me teach you something. Don't ever say that when something's a symbol in the Bible, that it's just a symbol. Right? When we call God our Father, and we're part of the, the family of God, guess what? That's a symbol. But it's not just a symbol. It says it's something about families, about people together and, you know, with a loving, caring parent. Something about that reveals the essence of God. And that we need something within us. You and I needs a human family. And even though human families are broken by sin, we should be investing and working hard and setting them right. So if God loves the city, and we know there's many things wrong with cities. But we should be working on the behalf and seeing beauty in people. You don't believe me on this? Let me give you two quick examples. I go to the next point. The first example is this. Do you remember when Israel was taken into exile? Jerusalem was destroyed and they were taken to Babylon. Well, the great Babylon, right? And Babylon is always, you'll see it a lot in Revelation, Babylon is always an image of a, of a human city without God. And the people were there and they hated that city. And they hated the people who had taken them in exile. And if you read it, they were out on, you know, the Euphrates River on the banks, and they refused to go into the city. And their prophets, there were preachers that were preaching, yeah, don't go with those miserable, terrible pagans. Stay away from them. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's some people right now preaching things like, well, it's those folks' fault because this virus has come about, or it's those groups over there. And that, the devil is a liar. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus because that's not the gospel. But people were doing it back then. When people are terrified, we play the blame game, right? And they were back out there saying, oh, those Babylonians, we hate them. We don't want to be near them. And read Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah writes a letter, and he says, the people that are preaching that to you are not preaching the word of God. He said, God said, no, you go in this city, and you love this city, and you pray for this city, and you seek its shalom, and you get married there. And you live, for as a city prospers, you will prosper. And that's Babylon that God is talking about that way. We need to relearn how to see the world the way God sees it. Or how about Jonah? Remember Jonah? He didn't want to go down to Nineveh, that great city of Nineveh in what's today Syria. And he, he, uh, he, he's mad that God is making him go. And do you remember what God says to Jonah? He says, Jonah, there's 120,000 people in that city that don't know their right hand from their left, how could I not have compassion on them? The future of God is a city, and we need to look and see the beauty 
of people that God has created in God's own image. Okay, so that's the future. How does it arrive, right? How does it arrive? How, how, do, we, how do we get to this final city? And my answer is this. It comes in stages. Now, that's a little different than what you've probably you know, read before where it's like, you know, we're all warned that we neither know the time or the hour. And that's all true. And that the trumpet sound God will appear. That's all true. And we need to live that way in anticipation of Christ's return. But it actually comes in stages. What do I mean by that? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looked at his followers and said this, you are a city on a hill. Present tense. And in Philippians 3, uh, verse 20, Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. Present tense. But then Revelation says, but yet there will be ultimately the great city of God. So like if you're to any of you, okay, which is it, Chip? Is it the city is now or is it not yet? And the answer is yes. It's both, right? That, that we as followers of Christ are living in such a way that our citizenship is to the ultimate city, and we're living that way as an alternative city in, this, in the human city now. Okay, This is really what our calling is uh, to, to be, that we're an alternative society. That's why Paul says you're a colony of heaven, right? And so we're living kind of a, an alternative uh, a city within the city. And what do I mean by that? When the city, right... Uh, even, even here at Garfield Memorial Church, we're not a perfect church. We always say that. If you're looking for a perfect church, we're not it, right? And we're not a better church. We're just a little different church. And one of our, our the, the fact that in, in Revelation 7, 9, it says every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship God. And we're, you know, that often doesn't happen in the human city. And so Garfield Memorial, we, we will ourselves, you hear me on that? This isn't something we just kind of hope for. We will ourselves to walk, work, worship together as one in spite of cultural differences, in spite of political differences, in spite of all the different ways that will separate us in the city. We learn to be one in Christ because we're members of an alternative city living in this city. And in the city out there, what? Everybody is trying to make a dollar and, and you know, get ahead and dog eat dog. And in, and in that city, uh, people are just things you use to get ahead. But in this city, in the alternative city, guess what? Money's just money. And we give of our money to move the ministry of God's work in the world that his word might be heard and ministry to the poor. See, we're living as an alternative city in the human city. And that's why this is the slide I want you to see. That as followers of Jesus Christ, ready on this? We are called to be a foretaste of the future city living in this city. I'm going to give you two quick ways we can do that. One, we need to be, uh, the first thing we have to do is we should resist the exhaustion and the oppression that's in the human city. You say, okay, Chip, that's a lot of words. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. In the city of God, it says this in Revelation, it says that they will see his face, watch this, and his name will be on their foreheads. See, in that day and age, your name was your identity. So in the city of God, people know who they are. And guess what? They know whose they are. They belong to God. They're children of the king. They've been marked with his name. And so we're not wondering who we are, but see, in the human city, people don't know who they are. 
and they don't know that they're valued and loved. And this goes back to Genesis 11, if you know the story of the Tower of Babel. Like, in the garden, there was individual sin. In Genesis 11, it became corporate sin. And if you say, well, I don't believe it's a true story. Trust me on this. It's a truth story. And Genesis 11 says this, that this was the first time in history that human beings came together to build a city. And they came together and they said, you remember the story? We're going to build a skyscraper. We want to build this big skyscraper. It'll go up to the heavens and once again, we can be like God. Like somehow, we'll just hit the button in the elevator and show God, see, we're as big as you are. And at 11, Genesis 11, 4 said that they did this, watch this, to make a name for themselves. See, in the city of God, people have God's name on their forehead. But in the human city, everybody's trying to make a name for themselves because they don't know who they are. And so they're trying to make a name through their work, through their career, uh, through their art, through their looks, right? And people come to the city to be looked at. Or people come to the city to worship work, right? And if work is, if you're trying to make a name for yourself through your work, that's exhausting. And you're going to sacrifice your family and your integrity and your health on its altar. Beware the false idols of the city. And so we're supposed to be people who know who we are, know whose we are, and we can help people get out of that exhausting cycle of trying to make a name for themselves and tell them you have a precious name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the second thing we do in the city, uh, we, we resist the exhaustion, oppression of the human city, but then we wipe away the tears of the city. See, that comes from the verse in 21 uh, where, where God says they will be his people, This is the voice to John. And God himself will be with them. Watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the the first work of helping people with their exhaustion is the attitude we have toward ourselves. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We've been named by God. And we find our worth and our significance in God, and we share that with others. But how we, our attitude toward others is not to disdain them, Not to play the blame game and whose fault is this that COVID-19 came around. That's not the work of the people of God. The work of the people of God is to wipe away tears. And I want to look at this camera today and I want to say to you, and some of you that are sitting there will listen to this at multiple services today. We have just right here in this church, but I know across the world, but I'm specifically thinking of people at Garfield Memorial Church. Some of you are physicians, and some of you are nurses, and some of you are mental health counselors, and some of you are first responders, and some of you are teachers who have scrambled to teach your children now in online classrooms, and you all are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on the front line, and you're taking the gifts that God has given you, and you know what you're doing? You're wiping away tears. You're wiping away tears. And I know some of my brother and sister physicians out there, sometimes maybe, maybe you know, maybe you're not going to win. Maybe people will, will, will not recover in certain places, but, but guess what? It's because there's only been one great physician who's never lost a patient. But you're going to be there with his presence and his, with his love, and you nurses and others And you're going to wipe away tears because you know Jesus, because you know the power of who he is. And you know what happens when we do that, when we live that way? People will listen to our message. They'll be open. You've heard the old adage, right? People don't care what you know until they know that you, right, care. I heard you. See, I'm I'm feeling it through the Holy Spirit. 
But that's the truth. I, I heard a Sri Lankan pastor. I hope I'm saying that right. I always mess that country up. But there was a Sri Lankan pastor who gave a testimony uh, back in around 2009. I think I remember hearing it. Um, in 2004, you may not know this, but 150 Christian churches in Sri Lanka were burned to the ground and many Christians assaulted. And then shortly after that, if you remember, the tsunami came and killed many, many people. And the Sri Lankan Christians went to the coast and began to minister to people who were hurting and helped find new homes for them and cared for these families. And this Sri Lankan pastor, I remembered, he was ministering to a family, being the hands and feet of Jesus when people were hurting. And he was ministering to a family where there was a member of that family that confessed to him that he had been one of the people that burned down this pastor's church. And with tears, as this pastor continued to minister to them, he said, we assaulted you, but we did not know who you really are. And when he saw that act of love, guess what? After the danger had passed and the things were rebuilt, that person was baptized by that pastor in the place of the church that he had helped burn down. See, that's what happens when you wipe away the tears. The message of Christ goes forward, okay? So, so let, me, let me wrap this up by saying to you that, that you know, God's future is a city, It's a garden city, right? It's the best of the city. It's got the density of the population, but it has trees and has a crystal river, the water of life, right? And the leaves of the trees are the most beautiful and fragrant that you've ever seen, right? So it's got all the best things of the city and all the bad things of the city are gone away. In fact, those leaves, it says, you know, we we take leaves and botanical things, and that's creating solutions and medicines, uh, you know, medicines that are being worked on now. It's scientists are, you know, just using, uh, you know, elements of what God had already created. And there are leaves of trees that create healing of the body. Do you know that? But these leaves create the healing of the nations. These leaves are so powerful that they make war cease to the ends of the earth. And that's God's future. It's a garden city. It's people, every square inch of people upon people with trees and with water and with, and with the best of creation. And it comes in stages. That it's, it's, it's a not yet and it's a right here and now. So we live as a foretaste of the future city in the city now and work toward that. And when that does that, that gives you incredible hope. Right? And it gives you great balance. You know, great balance in the world. So how then do I become a citizen of this city? How do I know that? How do I I know um, and become a citizen, citizen right here of this city? People want to know that. Okay, Chip, I want to be part of this city. But I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, or I don't think I'm that good a person, or I don't know my Bible very well. Well, let's go back to those original images. Will you go back with me when we remember those? What's in this garden city? The tree of life. Well, how's the tree of life back there? The tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is what they were separated from, right? When we decided to be our own Savior and Lord, and and we broke our relationship with God, you remember they were cast out of the garden? And what was put there? Do you remember? A flaming sword, right? You couldn't get back into the garden because there was a flaming sword. The only way back into the garden was somebody would have to go under that sword. 
And guess what? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that's where we're going into Holy Week next Sunday. He went under the sword and he was torn to pieces. And by his stripes we are healed. And so now we can have the tree of life again because he climbed the tree of death on the cross. And what about the, the river, the water of life? How is that there? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ suffered cosmic dehydration. He lost it. He lost, you know, water is an essential of life. You know that, right? You can live without food long before you can live without water. How much of our bodies are made up of water? But on the cross, Jesus lost that. And he said, I thirst, which meant he was losing God. He was losing love. He was losing joy. He was losing the fountain of the the spring of the water of life that he was the creator of. And because he suffered cosmic dehydration, we can have the river of life. And why is there no curse? There's no curse in the new city. We knew there was a curse in the brokenness of our relationship with God. Why is there no curse? Paul says it this way in Galatians. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. There's no curse in a new city because Jesus took our curse. And, and why is there no night in the new city? Why is it just light? Because at noonday, as we'll remember on Good Friday, In the middle of the day, a deep darkness fell upon all the land. And Jesus suffered ultimate abandonment and separation from God. He went into the deepest, darkest night and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he, he lost God. Jonathan Edwards, the great, uh, you know, great uh, revivalist, said years ago that Jesus knocked on the door of heaven and the door of hell opened to him instead. He went into the ultimate night that we could live in eternal light. And what's this whole thing with the names on the forehead anyways, okay? Chip, you talked about it as identity, and we get that. But do you know in the nation of Israel, there's only one person on one day who wore the name of God on his forehead? It was the high priest at the temple of Jerusalem. On Yom Kippur, when he would go into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, he would have on his forehead the name of God. He would take the blood sacrifice before the altar and pray for the people, right? But in the New Jerusalem, in the city of God, we're all high priests. And we don't need a lead pastor or a campus pastor or a discipleship pastor to lead us into the presence of God. You don't need to come out into this physical space to be led into the presence of God. The presence of God is in your home right now. The presence of God is with you if you're in your car right now. Because Jesus was the greatest high priest that tore the curtain in two that we could have access straight to God. And now in the city of God, we're all high priests. So how does... How does that work? How do we get there? We get there because of what Jesus has done. So you don't become a citizen in this kingdom by saying, oh God, I followed all the rules. I was really a good person. Now will you you take me to heaven? Will you listen to my prayers? That's religion. And that doesn't work. Okay, none of us have that capability. But when you go to God and say, God, accept me not because of what I have done, but accept me because of what Jesus has done. 
It set me about because of my record, but because of his record, then suddenly I don't have to take an immigration class. I don't have to go through some kind of constitutional training. I don't have to get my visa updated. Suddenly the gates of heaven open up, and God says, come home, my child, because of what Jesus has done for me. That's how you know. Friends, what is called is substitutionary love. Jesus said it this way, greater love has no one than this that I would give my own life. He said, nobody takes my life, I give it freely. That's called substitutionary love. That Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and he died the death that we deserve. That's substitutionary love. I don't have time enough to tell you this, but i got to use one illustration. Do you know God has written substitutionary love all throughout his creation? It's in you. You don't know that? Do you know, let me go a little, some of my doctor friends, I'm going to play physician here. I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Holiday Inn Express. Sorry, I had to get that correct. No, I didn't. I stayed at home. But anyhow, the point is this. I know just enough biology to be dangerous. Do you know when you get an infection in your body? Do you know why that infection doesn't kill you if it doesn't? Do you know why? Because you have little white corpuscles in your body. And they turn into little red white blood cells. And they attack that infection. Do you know that? On your behalf. And when that infection's healed and all the pus starts coming out, those are the corpses of all the white corpuscles in your body that died so you can live. Substitutionary love is written in our bones. It's written in our blood. And Jesus showed us the ultimate act of substitutionary love when he took our place. And so that's how you become a member of the kingdom. Remember I said one big story? Genesis, what's wrong with the world? In the book of Romans, Paul explains how Jesus set the world right. There was the one Adam, now the new Adam, the new Christ, right? God has proven his love for us, and then while we were yet sinners, Christ was like one of those white corpuscles. He died for us, that we might live. And then Revelation, the new city. When Paul is expressing to us the way to know we're a citizen of God, he just says it this way, very, very simply. He said, the word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. Where do those white corpuscles to turn to blood cells pump from? Our heart. Substitutionary love, friends, is in your home. It's near you. The Holy Spirit of God is near you. I'm near you through this technology. You're near me. But most importantly, we're near God. It's near us and in our hearts. And watch what he says. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, I confess that he is Lord. I am not. I surrender trying to be God. I'm going to let Jesus be the, be the guide for me. He is my Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Watch this. You will be saved. It doesn't say, well, you might be. And if you, if you, you know, if you, you six months track record, we'll see how you do. It says, no, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart, you will be saved. So maybe you've never done that. Okay? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you don't know if you've done it. Why not do it now? Why not do it together? So I'm going to invite you to do that where you are. Maybe you want to remember it. Just put your hand on your heart. Remember that substitutionary love is flowing through your veins. It's in you. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. His love is greater. His perfect love will cast out fear. It's in you. You are created in God's image. And he says, you're beautiful. So beautiful that he can't have enough of you in the kingdom. He's got to have a great city. So let's be sure, all of us, that we're citizens of that kingdom.
we're going to confess with our lips. I'm going to have you repeat after me. And then really, really believe with our hands and our heart. And then we'll know. You don't have to guess anymore. You'll know. So you ready? Just say with me, Jesus, be my Lord. Move me out of the way. Reign in my life. And God, accept me. Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And he is reigning now in an eternity that includes me. If you prayed that prayer with me right now, would you do something? Let's start a Romans 10.9 revival. Would you just post on your social media, I prayed Romans 10.9 today. Would you email us or talk in chat rooms or whatever and just say, you know, I just, I just prayed that today. I, I'm believing that today. I am believing that I'm a citizen of the city of God that's coming and I'm going to represent the city of, that city of God right here, right now, at this time, by loving the poor, by loving the hurting, by loving the lost of the city, by wiping away tears, and by dealing with exhausted people trying to make a name for themselves and inviting them to come meet the Lord who gave me a name and gave me rest and gave me shalom and gave me peace. Friends, we love you. We're glad for this time of connection. Um, Let's close now as the band is going to lead us in a blessing. And I want all of you who prayed that prayer, all of you maybe prayed it again just to relive it. I know when my wife and I go to weddings we and people are saying the vows, we tend to re-say them just to remember. So if you remember that moment when Jesus became real for you, if you said that moment today and you believe your citizen is city, hear this blessing poured out for you from this band. Folks, we will see you during the week, sheltering God's presence, and see you again next Sunday. Amen.